It's Sunday, March 17th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. Here's what's making headlines this week. She witnessed events that were so egregious, she considered it warranted her resignation from cabinet. Canadians deserve to know what those events were. This is about transparency. This is about accountability. The clerk has advised me that it's a non-debatable motion. That being said, the motion is adopted. Meeting is adjourned. You should be ashamed. Trudeau uh, has transformed the Justice Committee into the Justin Committee. I love the people of New Brunswick. I seek this position humbly. What a budget is, I'm thinking about all the money that we have and how do we best use it so that your families are more successful. That was the opposition who are outraged trying to call Jody Wilson-Raybould back before the Justice Committee to testify a second time as part of the SNC-Lavalin controversy. Meanwhile, the Liberals are hoping the budget will change the channel this week. We'll hear from a Liberal insider and senior advisor who is also Canada's ambassador to the United States, David McNaughton, on all of that. Plus, the future of the USMCA trade deal and where he thinks it's going. Then, his career has taken him from Parliament Hill to Ireland, and now Kevin Vickers has his eye on Fredericton. We'll talk to New Brunswick's newest Liberal leadership hopeful. Plus, we'll unpack the politics of the upcoming budget. The SNC-Lavalin affair is drawing international scrutiny as the OECD monitors allegations that the Canadian government tried to politically interfere in the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. The attention from the OECD's anti-bribery unit has drawn further criticism of Justin Trudeau on the world stage. Meanwhile, here in Ottawa, the opposition is outraged their efforts to bring Jody Wilson-Raybould back to testify a second time have made no progress. They say it's a cover-up. Joining me now from Toronto is Canada's ambassador to the United States and a senior advisor to Justin Trudeau, David McNaughton. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I'd like to start first with the events in Christchurch last week. Uh, there's been questions about whether politicians are doing enough to condemn far-right extremism, including President Donald Trump. Do you believe that politicians here in Canada and the United States are taking this issue seriously? Well, I think everybody is realizing that these incidents are happening happening way too often, and uh, I think it's incumbent on everyone in public life to uh, uh, to speak out about these things. And uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of people do so, and I and I I hope more do because this is uh, you know this is really quite shocking and uh, very very tragic, and I feel uh, terrible for all of those uh, people and their families and their friends. To switch gears back up here to Canada, you advised Justin Trudeau on the SNC-Lavalin affair. You were hunkered down in his office for a day. We were visiting Ottawa, giving him advice. How is the Prime Minister handling the fallout from the scandal? Well, I think, you know, to begin with, uh, I was in Ottawa to talk to the Prime Minister about a variety of things, including um, the things that uh, are really important in terms of my primary function, which is to deal with... Canada's most important economic relationship, and that is with the United States. So we talked about 232 tariffs and uh, the approval of the new NAFTA agreement and a variety of things. And obviously, because of my relationship with uh, the Prime Minister, uh, you know, he, he sought my advice on, on other matters also. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, happy to do so, but, uh, you know, I, I am really focused on 
on trying to get rid of 232 tariffs and, and, and to do the things that uh, I need to do in terms of improving our relationship with the United States. And I do want to get to those tariffs later on, but he gave a press conference later that week after you advised him. Do you think he should have apologized? You know, uh, I think the Prime Minister uh, seeks advice from, from a variety of people, and, um, and I was quite happy to give my advice, and it was private advice, and it will stay that way. And then he, uh, as I found, uh, frequently makes up his own mind, makes his own decisions, and, uh, and uh, he, is, uh, he, he did what he did. And I think we're, you know, we've got a budget coming up next week. There are an awful lot of things on the agenda. Uh, and uh, I know he's pretty focused on all those things. In 2015, you were one of the Liberal campaign co-chairs. The campaign was about transparency, about doing politics differently. Many are looking at what happened here and the access the powerful have to the Prime Minister's office and the allegations being made, and they're questioning if this is the stereotypical old-style Liberal politics. What do you say to voters who are heading to the polls and say, this isn't what we voted for? Well, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything to voters. Um, you know, I have, uh, in my position, I have to be uh, nonpartisan and have said I was going to be and I will be. Um, but I should also say that, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, was campaigned on when I was in that position was also uh, improving our relationship with the United States, uh, securing our access to the U.S. market, expanding opportunities for Canadian business and Canadians to do business abroad and and I think uh, you know this we've worked really hard at that and I know for sure I have uh, the last two years have been as uh, challenging a time physically emotionally uh, in every other way in terms of trying to make sure um, that that Canadians had continue to have opportunities to uh, have open and free access to our largest uh, market. Seventy-two percent of our exports go to the United States, and so that's really been the focus of my attention, and, and I'm quite proud of what we've done. Well, let's turn our attention to that. When it comes to USMCA, uh, some of the Democrats have been suggesting that they are not at all in favor of it and they may not sign on to it. What reassurances do you have that USMCA is actually going to happen? Well, you know, in the U.S. system, there's never any, uh, particularly these days, there's never any guarantee about what outcomes are going to come out of Washington. But I, I'm, I'm quite confident that, that it will pass through eventually, particularly if the Americans remove the 232 tariffs on Canada and Mexico. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at it, and, and I have said to Democrats who've asked me about, about the agreement, you, you know, there is a labor chapter. There is an environment chapter. In the rules of origin, 70 percent uh, comes from the, the content comes from North America. There's a clause that talks about, you know, uh, $16 an hour wages. It's the, all of these things are new things. There's, you know, the elimination of some of the um, ISDS provisions. I mean, all of these things are things that uh, I know many Democrats have been asking for and seeking over the last several years and and they're they're actually in the agreement now one can always argue whether the provisions are perfect um, but i don't think one should let the perfect get in the way of the good and this is a good agreement it's a good agreement for canada uh, and i think uh, i think the, i think the americans will come to the realization when it when it actually comes to a vote that it's a good deal for them too and you know one, a lot of the people that you hear talking about how difficult it is 
uh, going to be to get it through the U.S. Congress are um, people that are selling their services to business saying that they would like to help get it through and you know having been in that business once before in my life I, 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 I sometimes take all of those comments with a grain of salt I'm confident that when it comes to a vote um, you know the US Congress will pass it uh, that's up to them to do but I think uh, you know when asked uh, by members of Congress, I've told them what I think are the benefits of the agreement, and it's a good deal. But Ambassador, back in February, you said that you were convinced the tariffs would be lifted on steel and aluminum in the next few weeks. Uh, you were pretty confident about that as well. That hasn't happened. Do you have any indication that those tariffs on steel and aluminum are drawing to an end? I, I continue to be confident that they will be removed within the next few weeks. I've, my, my position hasn't changed. Um, Why are you confident about it's that? It's just the, the few weeks of well, because I think, you know, I, I, if you look even yesterday, I mean, Senator Grassley, who is the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, so he's a pretty powerful guy in the United States system, and he was saying, you know, that these tariffs need to go and that he does not believe that uh, the, 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 the trade agreement will get passed unless these tariffs are removed. And not only is, is he, he believes they should because they're harming U.S. businesses, U.S. consumers, U.S. communities. That's why I'm confident. It's not just because, uh, you know, I think we've done a good job of, of, of improving our relationship with the United States. It's also that these, uh, these tariffs are hurting them. You know, for, for 16 years in a row, the United States has had a surplus in steel with Canada. Last year, the United States had an $835 million deficit with Canada in steel trade. So for those who say to me, well, the tariff program is working, it's not really working very well because U.S. exports to Canada and steel went down by $800 million last year. Ambassador McNaughton, thank you That's so much for I your time it's today. Approved. No problem at all. Thanks, Mercedes. He was hailed as the hero on Parliament Hill for helping to end the attack there nearly five years ago. Kevin Vickers was the sergeant-at-arms at the time. He then went on to become Canada's ambassador to Ireland. And since former New Brunswick Premier Brian Gallant has announced that he's leaving as Liberal leader for the province, many have been urging Kevin Vickers to step up and join the leadership race. I spoke to Mr. Vickers Friday, shortly after he announced his decision. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Welcome back to Canada. Hi, Mercedes. Very nice to hear you. Before we begin, I wanted to touch on what happened in Christchurch this past week. Obviously, you had such a personal and close experience with that on Parliament Hill. Your thoughts on the events in Christchurch, Kevin? Obviously, Mercedes, these are always tragic and troubling events that happen. I guess it's the dark side of humanity. Um, I guess we just have to realize that from time to time, uh, the lesser good is going to come forth in us. Uh, you know, in my RCMP career, I've taken confessions from 17 men who've killed people. And uh, their backgrounds and what they've went through in their lives was always troubling to me. But if I learned anything from the incident in Ottawa, I, I had occasion to be at the Simon Wiesenthal Center to see a young Drew's mother. Uh, receive uh, her husband's award posthumously. He was killed in a terrorist attack in Jerusalem. But just prior to the attack, they were married and she delivered their fourth son. And she started her speech like this. I do not seek revenge, nor do I hate these gentlemen, for I want our son to know the power of forgiveness 
and the weakness of hate. So I'm always hopeful, having heard that and learned that, that having that power and that great side of humanity will overcome these things and, and be better off overall. Do you think that politicians here in Canada are doing enough to condemn the kind of hate that drives these attacks? Well, I think we in Canada is, is a really a shining light among the constellation of nations. Canada, as I traveled around Europe as a, the ambassador of Canada, Ireland, wherever I go, we're so looked up to. Uh, people uh, so cherish and value our country and our values. Uh, so I think Canada is out there in the forefront, Mercedes. We, we really have something magical going here. We're a nation of immigrants, other than, of course, our first Aboriginal peoples. But we, we have something very great going on here. I, I used to call it the, the great Canadian experiment. And here we are, peoples from all over the world, getting along with one another. Um, we Canadians have a lot to be very, very, very proud of. And part of that pride, I imagine, being reflected in your decision to run for a Liberal leader. Tell us about how you decided to make the big dive into politics. Well, this first came about with uh, phone calls from my friends uh, in the Acadian community, as well as some English friends, asking me to think about it. Uh, I, briefly, at the beginning, I thought it was a, as a compliment, but the more I looked into it, the more passionate and driven I became about it. You know, having worked across Canada and uh, in the senior executive of the RCMP, as well as being the sergeant at arms at the House of Commons, and my experience as ambassador. I was able to gain a vast experience in a wide range of areas, and uh, it's my turn to, to pay back uh, to this wonderful province. I, was, I have so much to, to uh, be thankful for coming from a place like this. This province is a great province with great people, and it's my turn to uh, pay back, and I offer my, myself and my service uh, to the province and to the citizens of this province. One of the big questions I think people at home might have is whether you are pro or anti-Energy East, if that were to raise its head again. Well, Energy East and all these issues, what I've been doing, uh, uh, Mercedes, the last few weeks is driving around, uh, listening to all New Brunswickers in every part of the, every part of the province, and uh, I will continue to do that and uh, consult with caucus and consult with the, the Liberal Party to come up with uh, specific things. I guess the only thing that I find a little bit confusing with Energy East is I'm not sure who would champion that. Uh, my understanding is TransCanada Pipelines is no longer interested. Um, my sense is as well Irving Oil is no longer interested. So I, I think it would be very important to identify as to who's actually going to build and, 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 uh, and are they going to come forward to, uh, to uh, make the East Coast, East Coast Pipeline a viable action. You've just come back from Ireland, where you were the ambassador. Curious to know your thoughts on what's going to happen with Brexit in coming days there. Well, Brexit is uh, very worse and very troublesome. Um, Ireland just uh, finished celebrating, I think it's a 30-year history uh, of the uh, Good Friday Agreements, which brought peace to Northern Ireland and Ireland. And a big part of that agreement was the free movement of people and goods that people from the South uh, Ireland could go up to Northern Ireland and vice versa um, and share European uh, passports. And uh, it was, it was uh, a vital thing, which Canada played a role. General John de Chastelaine, again, Canada being at the forefront of, of, of serious, serious situations. But should there be a hard Brexit, it'll be very difficult to avoid what is called a hard border. And if that interrupts 
uh, the movement of people and goods. Uh, the danger is, is that we could very uh, quickly fall back into the tensions that had been so troubling in the past. Kevin Vickers, that's all the time we have for David. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thank you very much, Mercedes. On Tuesday, the federal government will announce its last budget before the fall election. What can we expect to see? Joining me now is Josh Wingrove from Bloomberg News and our own chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. David, what are you expecting to see in the budget this year? I think we're just going to see an uh, extension of the narrative we've heard from this government throughout its term, which is this budget will be all about the middle class and those wanting to join it. Uh, we expect there to be some new spending programs or additions to ex existing spending programs all within the framework, as one source in the PMO mentioned to me the other day, a responsible fiscal track, which says to me that we're still not going to hear about balanced budgets, that debt-to-GDP ratio will still be the rough anchor, but I think it's going to disappoint some fiscal conservatives who would have liked to see a return to balance. Well, and Josh, this is a government that has not been afraid to run a deficit and run a substantially larger one than they had initially promised. Mm -hmm. Do you think they're going to pull it back a little bit this year, or is the feeling just go full bore ahead and keep spend, spend, spending? Uh, well, uh, you know, I guess we'll see, but the revenues are really good. The money's been pouring into federal coffers, so they, if they wanted to tighten their belts, would have some reason to do that. But on the flip side, the economy is not as great as we once thought it was. The most recent data, other than jobs numbers, looks pretty crummy. And so uh, economists across the country would say they have cover fire to spend even more, believe it or not. Uh, so uh, they, they can really try to spin this both ways. I, I agree with David. I think we'll see sort of a continued track. This government just simply doesn't seem to believe that people care about deficits. And they, they might be right, and as I'll put my Bloomberg hat on and saying <laughs> Canada's deficits aren't that big by global standards, so they're manageable. So I, I don't think we'll see a lot of that. I think we'll see a lot of goodies in the window. They've talked about pharmacare. They've hinted at maybe help for first-time home buyers or new help. Skills training will be, will be a big thing. So we're going to see all that. Uh, things you can put on a placard in an election campaign and hand to a voter. Yeah, the home buyers thing I think is interesting because uh, the biggest group of voters in 2019 will be millennials for the first time, bigger than boomers. Millennials, people 19 to 37, and many of them are looking to buy a home, have fr been frustrated by previous changes that the finance department made to tighten uh, restrictions on first-time home buyers. So to the extent that, that there's something to address that, that could be politically interesting. And on the other hand, we saw some data this week, remember this, that shows uh, uh, household debt in Canada is actually moving a little higher and, and assets of households is dropping. And that may have some a bit worried that should we be goosing up or, or loosening home buying restrictions when in fact we're seeing some issues around household debt get worse. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're all going to be keeping a close eye on the budget. Something else happening on budget day, which is completely unrelated, will be the decision on whether or not Jody Wilson-Raybould is able to return to the Justice Committee to testify. Again, the Liberals shut the committee down this week. They punted it to Tuesday when the budget is happening and when it will be an in-camera meeting, which means behind closed doors. Smart strategy or dumb strategy? Well, behind two sets of closed doors, because the press will be locked up in a budget lockup <laughs> at the same time. So even Safely if they wanted to get the there, impossible. Um, I think that they are trying to ride it out. I think that Wednesday was a trial balloon to see, hey, if we brazenly cut this meeting short, what happens? Uh, so, I, you know, the, the, I'm sure they're polling over the weekend uh, right now to see how that goes. But there will be continued pressure 
to get Jody Wilson-Raybould to talk about what happened after she was attorney general, but still in cabinet. This government simply doesn't seem to have an appetite to want her to do, to do that. And this has been going on since, what, February the 20th, when our friends at The Globe first broke this? February 7th. February 7th, yeah, pardon yeah, me, yeah. 20th was when we first heard some testimony. Well, That's right. Well, over a month now. It feels like exactly. years. <laughs> so you wonder about the issues management strategy inside the PMO, is, as I've heard some people who have done issues management, usually the goal of issues management is to make the issue go away. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that liberals haven't figured out how do we pull Jody Wilson-Raybould and or Jane Philpott back in the tent and figure something out here, it finds me, it strikes me as very odd. And uh, until they do, there's lots of, I think the opposition is going to keep beating them up. Some liberals are unhappy, not, not, you know, majority, but there are some liberals unhappy with the way their prime minister is behaving here. And in an election year, when you're looking for volunteers and donors who are excited about your guy, even any weakening of that enthusiasm is an issue for the Liberal Party as it seeks re-election. Oh, and Josh, you're the business guy. There's been this, fake it, this big <laughs> question, very well though, no, very convincing, this big question about whether or not there was any evidence SNC-Lavalin actually would go under. And, and it doesn't seem the government's been able to produce a single study, anything other than the company saying this, even though about a third of their business is in Canada, the rest is elsewhere. How big of a problem does that become for the Liberals if they keep saying jobs, 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 but they can't produce any evidence that it was about jobs? Yeah. People are going to want to know. Remember, a lot of these jobs are engineers, this kind of thing. So if the company was taken over, you'd still need engineers. You wouldn't buy a company to an engineering company to not do any engineering. And even if they weren't, those engineers might get hired by other firms. So there's a lot of questions about whether those job numbers are real. One of the other fears was the company could move, the company could be vulnerable right, to a takeover. Yes, absolutely. If they were scared about that, and I think there's some question as to whether they had grounds to be, but if they were, that fear is amplified now because the company is more vulnerable to take over if you measure it just on their share price than it was when all this was happening. Do you think that makes a DPA more likely right now? Because they're not ruling it out. It's still on the table. Uh, it, it, I suppose. I mean, there, there's some who say that David Lametti, the current Justice Minister who replaced uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, has already told the, uh, the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions, to start negotiating. I would assume SNC-Lavalin, that's kind of a material event that mm -hmm. we're negotiating. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to tell us. But nonetheless, there's a lot of thinking about this. And one other point to point out, I think, Mercedes, is right across the river behind us, Quebecers are looking at this in a fundamentally different way than English Canada is. Quebecers believe Quebec, Inc., is under attack by English Canada, that SNC-Lavalin is being singled out because it's from Quebec. And whether that's right or wrong or people in Quebec or just whatever, I think that's a problem for a federal party to manage that. Mm. We're going to have issues. We've seen Albertans are upset at the rest of the country because of, of oil and gas. Now Quebecers are upset at the rest of the country. And that starts to produce some cracks and fissures that the governing party, the Liberals, or a party that wants power, Conservatives, New Democrats, are all going to have to deal with. The company also isn't making the same warnings publicly that we know now they were making privately to the Trudeau yes. government. So if they were telling the Trudeau government that we're worried about jobs, they're not saying that publicly right now. They're in fact saying they're sort of moving on, they're focused on fighting the charges, fighting their court case, rather than pressing for a DPA. But if one fell from the sky, I'm sure they'd take it. We just have a few seconds left, but David, Jody Wilson-Raybould, some are saying, could speak in Parliament. She could stand up in the House and be protected by parliamentary yes. privilege. Do you think that's something there's going to be increasing pressure for her to do? Uh, I think there's pressure on it. I think she has to make decisions. Does she want to be essentially, quite publicly, challenging her leader in an election year? Does she want to lead an independent rump of Liberal MPs who are disgruntled for any number of reasons? Well, she that's was a big just confirmed on Thursday as the Liberal candidate and that for can be her riding, so she's 
time by the leader. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. But she has some thinking to do as well with her supporters. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you both very much for joining us. And, of course, we'll keep an eye on the budget and Jody Wilson-Raybould this week. Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.